Welcome to the Back to Back Pod on the Athletic Podcast Network. This is Nerder She Wrote with your host, Dave Dufour, with Mo Dakil and Seth Partnow. Are you ready to be entertained? Welcome to the Back to Back Podcast. It's Thursday. That means this is Nerder She Wrote. I'm your Hi, host, Dave DeFort, joined as usual by my good buddy, Mo DeKeel, and my, uh, are we good buddies, Seth? Yeah, we're good buddies. You call don't me and complain. For, don't fall for that trap. Don't fall you for that trap, You call me and Seth. complain about stuff. And my other good buddy, <laughs> Seth Partnow. <laughs> I said it yes one time, Seth, and I haven't been able to really get, <laughs> get, get away from you it. Can't don't escape. fall for the trap. You can't escape now. Uh, just that's that's the that's the the, the, the blank space shade he just it. threw at me. My <laughs> we're good guy. buddies. We're good buddies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're friends. Well, I don't know. Mo we're and friends. I have just this recorded track record of like multiple years of talking together, and you know, you know, everyone you came in and, and we're just immediately hating, and so people might have just thought, oh yeah, no, he doesn't me- he doesn't mess with Dave. So, uh, guys. Finally, we have real basketball to talk about. I, I, I've been told we can't care until like, you know, May, uh, but it's at least real basketball. Um, opening night was a lot of fun. I, I thought the L.A. versus L.A. game was really electric. I mean, I wasn't there. Mo, were you in the building? I was in the building. It was a Clipper court, but Laker home game. Uh, it, it was amazing, but it was a fun environment. It seemed like everything was good natured. It, it didn't seem like anything crazy happened during the game within the fans, but you can definitely feel it was a heavy Laker vibe. And man, it really did have that kind of playoff intensity. I know they were, everybody was trying to downplay it afterwards of just one of 82 and things like that, but that didn't feel that way in the stands. And to be honest, it didn't feel that way on the court, especially with the way the Clippers played that game. Yeah. Uh, Seth, you put out a a great piece that I I thought was a good primer for, for starting the season and kind of explaining how people like us tend to watch the game, what we want to see, like what statistics we're looking at. Uh, It's on the up on the athletics. So if you're hearing this and you haven't read it, go check it out. Uh, but I want to start there, Seth. Um, what did you see from the first two nights that that kind of stood out to you? Um, let me say I talked about this a little bit. Uh, a little. Uh, I was I was kind of high on the Pelicans coming into the season. I'm a little worried about their defense. Um, they gave up a lot of open looks to the Raptors. Raptors didn't shoot great, still won the game. Um, it, it, it's that that's one of those things where you're kind of you're you're dicing with death, I guess. If you if you give up enough open shots, like I, I mean, that, that's that's sort of self explanatory, right. I think. Um, let me see. That's that, that's one of the big ones. Uh, I am. The Lakers are going to have to work hard to score. That's that's another thing I, I, I took from from that game is yeah. like Anthony Davis had a had a big game, but he didn't get a lot that was easy. Like those are they're going to put some hard miles on him this it, year. It, I was going to say, you know, it, it just feels like they could get him easier looks. The the post ups. I mean, he set a career high for post ups. He had seventeen post ups. Um, when they were posting him on the move, it looked a lot better. But you know, traditional back to the basket, like you're taking away the advantage of having Anthony Davis. But it wasn't even just that, Dave. 
and and I agree with you, like getting him on the move, setting cross screens and things like that to get him deep post catches. But they were posting him up, and he was getting pushed out, you know, like yeah. almost twenty feet and things like that. And and Seth is right, like it was a very hard working effort just to get him going. And then on top of it, when LeBron wasn't in the game, they didn't have anybody that could pass him the ball. They had problems entering the ball in the post. Part of that was the Clippers ball pressure, but part of it was these dudes were just not even being able to function on fundamental basketball skills to a degree of just being able to enter the ball in the post. I think there are smarter ways to get him the ball in the post. And there's just smarter ways all overall on how to using, how to use Davis. And I'm, I'm not sure if they, it's early. It's one game. Yeah. They still got a while to go. And, you know, they'll hopefully if, if they're going to be as good as everybody hopes or they'll figure it out during the season. But that was just a brutal start. I mean, the 17 post ups he had to start the game. I mean, it looked good early when right. they posted early and, and, and attacked the Clippers weakness, which is their size. But it just wasn't something that they could sustain because it just sort of felt like, cool, we're just going to keep throwing it into him and, and he'll figure it out. And it just. It snowballed. It, it didn't turn out that way at all. Yeah, I mean, it turns out it's not 1986 anymore, um, and and team, teams are going to adjust to that. I mean, they could have really just given him the ball and isolated him and let him take guys off the dribble. If if you know that would have been a better option with Anthony Davis than what they were doing. I, again, they'll figure it out. And Rondo, I can't believe I'm going to say this. <laughs> Rondo will help with that. Because he, you know, like you know that that he can functionally make the pass, right? He can get the ball to him in in an advantageous spot. I mean, he's going to give up stuff elsewhere, but at least he can get the ball to Anthony Davis, which some of these other guys couldn't. Um, I can't believe yeah. I just said that. I, I want to agree with something Mo said there. You talked about the Clippers' ball pressure, and I think yeah. the Lakers, especially with with LeBron not in the game, their backcourt is going to invite that from a lot of teams. Uh, they they uh, uh, you know I the Queen Cook and and and, and Troy Daniels have skills, but very you know the 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 prototypical very special set of skills, but that those skills uh, are don't include you know being able to handle the ball and, and initiate an offense especially well against like like you know chest to chest pressure defense yeah and like the Clippers are maybe better equipped to do that than a lot of teams but I think um, that that second unit is going to see that a lot it's just oh they're you know, LeBron's not in the game let's 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 pick up three quarters and and you know they're gonna they're just gonna end up with a lot of possessions working against the shot clock and and uh you know and you know isolating against the shot clock and they you know you have superstar talents like they have that can work but again that's that's over 82 games it's a lot of hard miles to put on the guys like you know if you end up there in you know the second round of the playoffs needing a bucket that's fine it's you don't want to have to grind that out for the next six months and if danny green doesn't explode people are i mean really really going crazy (laughs) Right. It's a blow. It's a blowout. And part of that explosion, too, though, was Davis in the post and the Clippers screwing up yep. the rotations when they were doubling him. And that's how Danny kept finding open threes. But I want to go back a little bit to what Seth said and kind of Seth's article, too. Like that second unit seeing those kind of full court, three quarter court pressure really kind of goes into that speed of play, which is what Seth really kind yeah. of looks into Seth can you talk a little bit more on that just because like I'm curious about it because yeah, I'm with you the, the the pace stat is one thing but it doesn't really give you the full story can you break that down 
Sure. It's so. This is something I think. Uh, I think Mike D'Antoni has talked about this the, this a lot. Is is it's not if you're playing with pace, it doesn't mean you're you're sprinting everywhere. It right. just means you're always moving. And part of that is is you know I had a you know one of my my earliest coaches in basketball. I can remember he was you know he he would always preach if you you know you get scored on you don't you don't mope you get the ball out get it in let's go right and 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 so really what. Um, uh, something you can you can see in in the in the full tracking data you can see that just getting into your offense earlier doesn't necessarily matter when you shoot, but just getting the ball across half court, getting the ball to the to the top of the arc, getting the ball past the hash mark earlier in the shot clock means the 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 uh, the, the the defense has to you know play for 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 you know instead of you know one of those things when the game quote slows down in the playoffs part of it is you walk the ball up you don't run anything till there's ten seconds left now you're against the shot clock you can run one action and then it's an ISO so you get the ball up at like eighteen nineteen you can do five or six different actions and that's you know each one of those maybe is no more likely to work but that's that's you know that's you know twice three times as many chances let, let your team get like a system bucket or something like that yeah and the lakers of the teams that have played so far the lakers had the the slowest pace lakers clippers that game itself like had the slowest pace like as as mo alluded to the pace stat is just you know it's possessions per 48 sure. minutes right. that doesn't exactly tell us what we're talking about so so i think you know something that we don't have public but they were data getting this, a lot but, of late yeah. shot clock yeah yeah and that but that also makes sense on the clippers end too, just because of the style they're going to play mm-hmm. with uh, Kawhi Leonard kind of manipulating the ball and, and getting it to Seth's favorite area, the mid-range. I think it's going to, you know, that's kind of a style that we're going to see more often with, with the Clippers. I think they're going to be selective in their transition, but it's not going to be something we're going to see. I don't expect them to be a very fast team themselves. No. And the mid-range is back, right, Seth? <laughs> I just want to keep doing this all year. I know, that's I know. all I want to keep doing. I, know. But I might just for send the record, video clips. For the record, <laughs> for the record, Kawhi Leonard gets away with that, right? Like that's it. So everyone just we're gonna shut it down now. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's I, why he's one of the best players. That's why it, he's right. one of the best players in the league. Is he can is you know if, if you think about that, you can think about the court this way. There's these two like. Like, you know, very high value areas, like under the basket and outside the arc. And then there's this big moat between them. And you need guys who can help you cross that moat. And those are, and like Kawhi can do that because he makes you guard areas where everyone else, you say, go ahead and try to swim that. And, and he can, and he can, you know, um, you know, you know, mix metaphors and whatever here, but he can walk on water. So he can, he can do that. Right. And that's why he's one of the, you know, the top you know, three or four players in the game. It's and and yes, if a guy can do that, it's great. Most guys can't do that. Right. And and the thing is, is that hasn't changed in twenty years. No, it hasn't at all. Like Michael Jordan would would be just as good today as he was back then because of the same for the same reasons. Michael Jordan would would have shot a lot more threes if he if he was playing I, I was going to say he might also. score more now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely. I agree yeah. with you on that. Like the the games, the way it's played now, yeah. all of these guys w- would have changed. Right, you know, and would be shooting more threes and things like that. After that game, I mentioned that I was like, you know, having an elite ISO mid-range game like Kawhi, like Kevin Durant, it looks like a cheat code because of the the way modern defenses work, and you know, it's geared toward running you off the three-point line and and protecting the basket. But like, duh, right? Like it was actually one of the most one of the dumbest things I've ever even said because 
Yeah, of course. But at the same time, it's stuff that 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 some guys don't take into account. You've said a lot of dumb things, though. Oh, relax. uh okay uh so another thing that you you touched on in your piece that like we're really going to talk about this because i I think it's it's a great primer for for people that want to go into the season and and actually like learn as they're going rather than just be entertained um you've got the pregame uh the rotation patterns which uh shout out to popcornmachine.net which is a fantastic site for this kind of stuff uh Matchups matter. Having your best players on the on the court uh, and matching up with the other team's best players, like that's great. But then maximizing, you know, when you're going to have those guys out there, uh, and you can take advantage of when the other team is running weaker lineups. I mean, this stuff is like it's chess, not checkers. Yeah, there's a. I mean, especially as you go further down the roster, uh, there's you know that the, your again your star players can can sort of perform decently in any in any environment. Whereas you know your your more limited players, there's situations where they're going to do well and situations they're going to do poorly. And so figuring out which times of games, who they're playing with, who they're playing against, uh, and and looking at the opponent's rotation when like can give you an idea of when can we when can we fit this guy in that he won't get exposed or when did this the other team have a have a player in that he can really take advantage of i mean the example i use in the piece is you know if the other team's backup center is kind of a kind of a plotter and you have maybe a you know maybe an anthony tolliver type or something as your as your backup center that's a matchup you can you can uh, especially if their guy isn't like super offensively talented you can you kind of get a one-way mismatch there because your guy can run around and get open threes and and their guy can't really take advantage of that on the other end and so kind of wit what part of the game is like okay from you know three minutes of the first quarter to six minutes of the of the second quarter let's get a you know a, a good lineup out there that can get you know some some pick and pops for 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 Tolliver or something like that is a is a kind of a micro adjustment you can make to kind of take advantage of those of of you know uh, of that situation yeah and, and Mo I mean you've been involved in this from the coaching perspective in the NBA you know um, helping to put together the lineups and 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 part of your job in the video room, I'm assuming is to say, Hey, you know, we could really take advantage of this matchup. Yeah. It's something you really focus on. It's, it's funny. There's even other aspects to it. Like, you know, we used to try to take Chris Paul out early in a quarter and get him back in towards the end. Cause that's when we were in the bonus as well. Most of the time. And that's and he's such a great free throw, throw man. And exactly. Well, he's going <laughs> to get to the line, you know, however you do it is how you do it. But that's something too. There's, there's aspects behind that and sort of the rotation and things you're kind of looking into it. But the matchup thing is usually the most important thing. I think it plays a bigger role in the playoffs than it does in the regular season. Regular season, you try to have your rotation down. You know, you have certain guys who you feel like last year with the Clippers, Montrez Harrell didn't start because they liked him going against the, the bench bigs to start games like that. They liked getting him going against the, the team's backup bigs before going up against, you know, the starters in the second half. So I think there's always those kinds of things that play into it, but the rotation, it, it's something I love watching early in the year and then kind of see how teams rotate it. Cause it's an ever flowing thing too. I mean, it's, it's never perfect, obviously with foul trouble and things like that, but you're going to have, you're going to see a team's trends and then you get to kind of watch them sort of change that up necessary sometimes in the playoffs to, to really attack the matchups, which is when I think we really see a lot of variance in their, in teams rotations from series to series. 
Yeah, and uh, Seth, it's a make or miss league. You're looking out for these shooting variances, uh, which Charlotte, I mean, whew. Yeah. Career. There's a, there's a couple games last night. There's oh a couple games last night that that like I think the the Denver the Denver Portland game also was yeah. was kind of a you know if if you like it, it's a little bit of, of on one hand like you know slow down Nuggets you shot fifty whatever percent from yeah. three that's you know not sustainable no. uh, um, and and Portland shot like twenty five percent from three so right. it's it's one of those things where you know you don't want to say it that you know it, it kind of it's it's uh, uh, you know, and if you're playing like a franchise mode in Madden, where if you were like 15 and 0, the the computer would would kind of give you a no way game where just like <laughs> nothing would go right and you yeah. just lose. Uh, I mean, that's kind of that you know five or ten times a season that just kind of happens. Um, like it doesn't doesn't really matter how well Portland played if Denver's going to shoot you know 50 percent from three, like you're probably going to lose. And that's, you know, about a third of the games in, over a season are decided by kind of one team shooting, like, especially well or poorly uh, on jumpers. Um, yeah. And especially now as the league has become more of a, you know, the, the three-pointers become a bigger thing, like shooting well from the outside has a larger impact on the scoreboard than it did when you were shooting when those were, were two instead of three. Yeah, I, like Denver should not be encouraged. Uh, they They hit 11 more threes. Than the Blazers and they only won by eight points. Yeah, I mean you you, you take the win, but sure. I mean if you're I mean if you were like it's it's dangerous to go too far down that road because like Jokic played four minutes in the first half. Oh so my God. and we're gonna like, get to that because yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, how do you account for that, Mo? Well, I mean that's just there's gonna be games like that. There's nothing you can. There's games when you go in and you just can't hit a damn shot, and there are games where it's like. Yo, the bucket's the, as wide as the ocean. Like we're throwing up garbage and it's going in. Like there are, it's 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 kind of the, those outlier things, you know. And mm-hmm. like Seth was saying, like you know, at some point, everybody's kind of go going to get back to the mean. You know, the, we know the Blazers aren't going to shoot twenty five percent from three. We know the Nuggets aren't going to shoot fifty five percent from three. Although it'd be pretty amazing to see a team <laughs> hold on to that for. An I mean, they go they go eighty two and zero. Uh, <laughs> like, I mean, it, it'd be so hard it, to it lose. It would be pretty nuts. Yeah. The but I think that's you know, we'll slowly see all that stuff kind of coming together. It's it's taking away too much in the first game or right, you know, the first ten games even. You know, it's it's I was asking uh the Clippers analytics guys the other night when I was there, just you know, when do you guys really go, Okay, this is a appropriate sample size? And for them they they had said, you know, if we have the whole team healthy, it's twenty games. Uh I'm not sure Seth's opinion on that, but you know, it's something we're going to see, you know, we're going to see some of that early on where it's wildly out of control and the numbers are a bit weird to begin. If the nuggets start out shooting hot for the next two games after this, you know, their three point percentage is going to be really high for a while. And then there's going to eventually come, they're going to get, it's the Madden game that Seth said, you know, they're going to get brought back down to earth and they're going to have a game where nobody can hit a shot and odds are they probably lose that game. And that's just kind of, the way an 82 game season sort of happens, you know, you're, you're, you have outliers and, and, uh, and both, both directions. And, if, you know, but most of the time it's everything sort of kind of shows your normal percentage. So, you know, we're just, it's something we're going to have to live with. It's hard making those judgments off of one game, especially the first game of the season. Yeah. Uh, and then yeah, last, I, uh, oh, go ahead. Seth. 
No, I, I was going to say I wrote about this on Tuesday, like in my season preview. It's like a lot of those kind of top line, like, you know, your offensive rating, your shooting, your rebounding, stuff like that. It takes, you know, 15, 20, 25 games to get like a like a pretty solid idea of where you are. And then like after about 30 games, you have a really good idea of kind of kind of where you are. So that's, you know, um, I think that, that uh, some – some style things kind of shake out much quicker kind of, you know, uh, usage rates and, 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 you know, shot distributions and stuff like that. Uh, and the kind of the, the kind of actions you run those shake out, you know, five, 10 games, even you can start to really see patterns in those, but like how good a team is at stuff. It does take, it takes, you know, it takes, it takes, it takes a month, you know, it's so give it time. And, and, uh, and also, you know, shouts to the, shouts to the guys in the Clipper, the Clippers analytics crew. They got a, they have a, they have a good crew there with, uh, with Judd and company. If you, uh, Judd is a, actually a very good basketball player himself. If you've ever played with him, Mo, I never, Wait, I, I never played with him. He came in, my last year, and this is kind of a sign of where we were as an organization with analytics. Like we had some, but he was the analytics department for an entire year. Like I'm not kidding; it was just Judd. Um, so he didn't have time to play basketball with us. So I never, <laughs> I, I only got to work with him for a year. So I never really got to see him play. Uh, I'm curious if he is uh, uh, a mid-range shooter or <laughs> he, he lives he's, the analytics lifestyle. Uh, he is. Uh, he's his player comp would be kind of a Sean Livingston type. Wow. <laughs> okay. How many analytics guys are more mid-range guys? <laughs> it's the exact opposite so the, of what they preach. If, if you go, if you play the Sunday game at after the Sloan Conference, you will see a lot of pull-up seventeen footers. <laughs> I love that. I That's love that. Funny. And uh, Seth, you got to get me in that game next year. Uh, hold on. How I thought analytics guys uh, didn't play basketball. Yeah, no. How do you play do. with a pocket protector, though, Seth? It's you know, it's you, you tape it up so you don't hurt anybody with it, but yeah. then you you know you know you, uh, you put, uh, why tape it up. Listen, if you're going to guard me, you got to deal with <laughs> all right. the, the challenges. Right. You're I might spill you ink on you. Up, you know, might you might spill you some gotta, ink. If you, you dislocate your finger getting it caught on my on my pocket protector, that's on you. That's that right. Sounds like a you problem, not a me yeah. problem. Um, all right. La- lastly, in your piece, uh, you, you talk about shot quality, which I, I think is it's lost in a lot of basketball discussion because um, you know it's make or miss league, but at the same time, shot quality matters when you're actually trying to judge an offense. Uh, you you pointed out that that uh, forty of the Raptors or thirty of the Raptors forty threes against the Pelicans had six plus feet of space. That's yeah, a problem. That's, yes. So just to just for people who aren't super familiar with the tracking data, it's measuring like six feet sounds like you know if you're thinking about when if you're playing in your basketball game you have six feet of space that that seems like forever and what really it's measuring is body to body right so with you know nba length like six feet is actually the guy's the guy's you know outstretched hand is probably two feet away and that's that's nba open uh you know it's uh for 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 these so it's you know the, the the difference in distance from what you you're thinking of as six feet is smaller, but still that's about the distance that that more or less open three pointer uh, is and and kind of has been since tracking data came in in the thirteen fourteen season, and yeah you don't kind of once the guy shoots as the defense you don't have a ton of control whether it goes in or not, kind of your biggest area of 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 
you know, way of controlling, you know, holding a team down from three is yeah, getting closer. And that will also tend to make them shoot less. So kind of the, the it's almost a double whammy if you're giving up a lot of open threes, because that probably means you're giving up more threes also. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love the shot quality stat just because so many games at the end of every game, when a team loses, they go, Oh, we just missed shots. Like, you know, sometimes that's true. Sometimes you got good shots like the Raptors here and just missed shots. But sometimes also you just took bad shots, plain and simple. Uh, And I think this, this kind of gives us that almost sort of that proof of like, no, y'all didn't miss shots. They defended you well and you took really stupid or bad shots or didn't have any options and had to take a lot more contested shots. I, I really do love the, the, the shot quality stuff. I want more access to data. Uh, just cause there's a lot more stuff I'm curious about, uh, and, and might help me in that sense. And, and Seth and I were, I'm going to have to get with Seth and drive him nuts a little bit with questions on, on data sets and things <laughs> like that. Uh, get, I, I, I too want more data on that. That's uh, that's one of those things. The, one of the things I miss most is, is kind of, you can, you can pretty easily, if you have kind of on a shot by shot level, if you know, you know, how far the closest defender was, how long the guy had the ball, how many dribbles he took and where he took it from, that gets you most of the way to a pretty good shot model. Um, so, uh, but what's available in public is now just all aggregate. So you don't, you can see, okay, he shot like six of 10 when he was open and four of 10 off the dribble and you don't, but you don't know which one, which of the open ones were off the dribble or not. And that kind of matters. And so it's, it's a little bit harder to come up with the, so it's more, you're doing kind of quick and dirty, uh, uh, sort of analysis of it. I love that you, that you cited the six plus feet. Those are the only ones that I consider open. Uh, on the yeah. NBA's tracking, they'll they'll do like what is it three to six as open or slightly uh, four, open uh, four to six four so, to six that's uh, not so, open to me no that is that is open on shots near the basket though and so yes. what they've done with those is they've had kind of put the same distance categories for all shots yeah and it makes more sense for you know shots closer to the basket than it does for jumpers right it's and so it's fine it's just knowing that like knowing that you know what they're calling an open shot from three is kind of a semi-contested shot yeah as usual context matters so okay now that we've got the primer everyone who listens to the show uh hopefully can watch the game with this stuff in mind and then you know hit us up on twitter uh if you've got questions well hit seth because seth you know wrote the thing and go read that um all right i want to start i got a question for seth and this is really something i'm more curious about with analytics departments you know, because we didn't really have one when I was with the Clippers. When you're watching the game in real time, do you have a system set up where you can kind of see where these these shots are coming up? I mean, obviously not you now, but when you're with the Bucks, you know, and 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 kind of get almost the the real time data, like you're getting this stuff right away, or is this something you get after the game? Something you get after the game. Um, the 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 tracking data doesn't come in fast enough for real. Uh, to do live. Um, so it's more definitely kind of an after the game thing. You get it out, you watch enough, you get a pretty good sense of, of uh, kind of an exercise I like to do from kind of time is like watch clips and like skip to the next clip before the ball goes in or not. So you kind of just see, so when you're just watching the game, it's impossible to not be influenced by whether the ball goes in or not when you're thinking about, of like, whether it was a quality look. And so just spend a little bit of time, like, you know, 
cut it off right before the ball gets to the rim. And then you, you was that a good shot or not? And, and kind of take the result out of that. So I got reasonably good. There were definitely games where I was surprised afterwards when I looked at the shot quality, but I think I, I developed a pretty good sense of about where it was going to come out. Oh, also, uh, using that data in game might be a little tough. Like, like having it be functional, for the coaching staff might be tough. Oh, you have to go very if, yeah. I mean first of all it doesn't it just doesn't come in fast enough to, Right. To but even if it did and you have to go might very difficult. top level. Yeah, yeah. Well, it yeah. would be it would be it would be one of those things. Yeah, top level and it's something you run down at halftime. It, it would it would literally the coaching staff would have to be this is the one stat we need to know yes. at halftime. Yeah. It would be it couldn't you couldn't go it couldn't be a detailed thing. Halftime's 15 minutes and you have yeah five to talk to the team yeah no it'd be absolutely be a thing like you you this is this is an indicator either for for the whole season this is the indicator we care about at halftime or this game this is this is the thing we care about and like bam that and that's it and that's all you that's all you'd have have time to be able to to do and also to for it to be if you've talked about it beforehand then you've kind of already decided what 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 the cutoff between good and bad is. So it's kind of just a a simple thumbs up, thumbs down almost. Yeah. Uh, Okay. I want to talk about this annoying Jokic foul situation from, from last night's game. Uh, Nikola Jokic picked up three fouls in like the first four minutes and then went to the bench where he sat for the rest of the half. He finished the game uh, 24 minutes. So he played 20 minutes in the second half and four fouls. For his career, he's at 3.6 fouls per 36 minutes. Uh, I mean, listen, adjusting your rotation has ripple effects. And so if you're going to sit your best player in particular, uh, you're going to be playing worse players. Now, they got lucky last night because they shot the ball so well. That's not always going to happen. Seth, I know you've run the numbers on this. Does it make any sense to adjust your rotation for a guy being in foul trouble, in particular one that doesn't have this like, you know, crazy high foul rate? historically no that's so that's that, that 3.6 per per 36 is about average yeah so he's not he's not particularly foul prone um i you know we i think it is slightly more complicated in general i agree like don't foul your own player out like we, we can't play him now so we'll play him later well you just you just you know you gave away 16 minutes of him uh so you know, and also a guy like Jokic, then you're playing him 20 minutes in the second half, and and I don't think the Nuggets would really like to play him 20 minutes and a half. I don't think Jokic often. would want to play 20 minutes and a half. <laughs> yeah, so it's even to to get him like to some like oh that's enough minutes number. You have to yeah. like do really silly stuff with his rotation in the second half. I will say it is a little more complicated in that like if a guy's picking up fouls, it's possible there's something about the game or the matchup that is putting him at more risk than yeah. normal. Now, I don't like whether that's, you know, the matchup, whether it's the way the game is being called, whether he's frustrated. Um, like those are all things you, you could, you should take into account. Um, there's some players who I did, a uh, I think this was probably four years ago. I did a look at like which players like really dropped off when they got in or near foul trouble. And I found that at least at that time, like Hassan Whiteside become like became um, significantly less, aggressive across a number of different metrics when he was like one foul away from foul trouble. I don't know. So he's less aggressive than he wasn't, he, he didn't rebound or block shots as much. Uh, so he, or contest shots as often. So, so like, uh, you know, if a player is going to play worse 
because of this, then that's something you need to take into account also. But I, you know, I, in general, I agree that like fouling your own player out is bad. It's just, there are some things to, to consider and whether like, I'm not going to speak for, you know, the Denver coaching staff, how well they weighed those factors. Right. But, uh, but I think it, it, it is, it isn't like, you know, a guy, again, a guy picks up three fouls in four minutes and he's frustrated. Like, is it possible that you're worried about like how he might perform or if that might, especially if he's your center, that might compromise your defense if he's being like super passive because he can't like touch anyone because he's been called for touch fouls. I don't know. I mean, there's I, what, a couple. I was going to say, you, you mentioned matchup and before we started recording, Mo was about to go in on that and, and looking at the fact that he was paired up against Whiteside. Yeah, but I mean, before we go into that, like, you know, some of it too is Jokic has a history of when he gets frustrated taking a dumb foul. You know, there's there's that to it. I think part of it, I agree with the everybody, everything you said, but I think some of it too is sometimes coaches have a feel for the game and their player in the sense of like, this isn't the game to give him, to let him sit out there. He, he might get frustrated. We need him to sit or whatnot. Now, as for the matchup, I mean, Whiteside got him in foul trouble early. Like, I think that had a lot to do with it. I think it was one of those things. The speed of Whiteside got to him quickly. And and the flip side of it, too, is you're saying, like, you wouldn't want Jokic playing 20 minutes in the second half. You know, he played 10 minutes, almost 11 minutes in the fourth quarter. And pretty much is the reason why they won that game. I mean, he had 16 just in the fourth quarter alone. He had 16 points had uh, I'm pulling up the numbers in real time. So it's like, uh, like we talked about, it's never quick. Um, 16 points, eight rebounds, two assists. I mean, like it, it did kind of save him energy wise, but that's not something you want to count on. And that's not something the, the, the nuggets want to have happen. But I think it's a matchup thing. It goes back to the rotation stuff. It goes back to to everything Seth said earlier about what you're watching for. You know, these are the things that play into it. You know, this is a tough matchup for for Jokic. Any big with speed and size, like he's going to have problems against the Lakers when he has to when he ends up on AD and things like that. So this is something that teams are going to try to attack and draw those fouls on him. And he wasn't the only one. I mean, we also saw Jalen Brown you know, pick up five fouls or four fouls in the first half. I mean, they, they tried to stay with him after his third foul and he picked up the fourth and, and that hurt them, the, the Celtics in that game. So I think it's just a tough, it's, it's, it's a field thing. I think more than anything else with coaches of, of one to trust your guy and one not to. I, I just think, you know, gluing your best player to the bench like that, uh, not, not great, but also, Again, the ripple effects that it has on your rotation. You can't. You're not able to take advantage of the work you've put in to to create lineup mismatches. You know, like I mean, it's not like you're going to this game and you don't have an idea of when you want to play guys, and and now you have to adjust everything. But like you, like like Seth said, you're basically fouling your guy out of the first half of this basketball game by putting him on the bench, and then that's going to have an effect on you know you've got Plumlee out there playing the whole time essentially. But I don't think teams and and Seth, correct me if if you have a different experience. But in my experience, I don't think teams in the regular season, when we're planning our rotation, generally isn't. And, and maybe this has changed because I'm getting old now. The his the focus wasn't always about what the matchup was, as much as it's this is this is how much we can play a guy in spurts. You know, we didn't like playing Blake Griffin. Uh, more than 12 minutes in a row, right? Like, like playing him a full quarter was always kind of difficult just because he needed a blow and every guy is different. I think that's 
part of what you're figuring out in the rotations. I think that's what you're talking about, Dave, and when you're planning the rotation and how you're going to attack guys. I think, again, that's more of a playoff thing than a regular season thing. I think the regular season, because you're playing a different team every night, different matchups, you want to create a rotation in which your guys find their rhythm and are adjusted to it. Like, players that's love that point. More. Players way. care about that more mm-hmm. in, in my experiences. They want to know when they're going in games and when they're coming out and they want to, and they're preparing themselves for how to get ready for that and things like that. So I think it's more of a, a I think that's more of the focus when it comes to putting together your rotation and then you're pairing guys of like, well, he should be playing with, with this guy. Cause he's going to be able to get him the ball, right? Like we talked earlier, you know, the second unit needs another ball handler for the Lakers so that they can get the ball to Anthony Davis, you know, and, and they, that's something you're looking at when you're pairing your rotation and then pairing it, you know, putting, putting in how many minutes can I play him at a time? How many minutes do I want to play total and things like that? That's really the regular season rotation more than, Hey, we're just focused on this matchup for this game. Any, anything else uh, stick out to you guys last night? No, I just wanted to, to I think that I think that Mo is more right than wrong in terms Definitely. of the regular yeah, yeah. season. But I think that's also all there's life. A, that's all yeah. of life, by the no, way. But I'm always I, more right. I, I think there's also a range. Like I think that uh, like again, observing more from afar, I think yeah. that someone like Rick Carlisle is probably mu- doing much more game to game matchups or game to game scheming and stuff like that than some other coaches who are like, This is this is what we do and we're gonna do what we do and 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 worry about, you know, not not, not totally worry about what the other team is doing. So I think there's a range and it's just, you know, it's more rather than, you know, you know, you know, really, you know, planning a chess opening of, of it's more, okay, well, you know, just to get this matchup, we might do this like a minute or two earlier on either side or something like that. When some coaches might even decide, all right, well, our third, our, 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 you know, our, our first swing off the bench in this matchup is this guy because X, Y, and Z. Um, but that's, you know, I think that some coaches do that more than others. So I, I, I agree with Mo, uh, kind of conditionally. Yeah. I I think Mo actually made, a really like good point. I mean, like you know, all, all my that's why he's on the points. show. Yeah, that's why all he's on my, the show. All, all my points. Uh-huh. Uh huh. <laughs> so, uh, aside from all the travels and the push off calls, did anything else stand out to either one of you guys last night? Besides the calls and stuff like that, <laughs> Dejounte Murray looks good. Oh my god, man! <laughs> now listen, I've been saying this because you know, I, I, obviously, I'm here and I saw a, a lot of him, you know, going through warmups and and preseason stuff. Uh, it's hard to look at this Spurs team and not envision what it would look like with Kawhi Leonard on it. And it's painful. Like oh they would be so. Gosh. Could you imagine the two of them in a defensive backcourt? Be a juggernaut. Like yeah, uh, he looked great. Like just had a fantastic all-around game. Uh, and you know, it's easy to forget that he's such a great rebounder. He just has everything. He has length. He's he's. I mean, we're waiting to see how the shot plays out and and all of that but just defensively i mean like there was one play where counting the guy near half court and you know the normal pass that the guard throws to the 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 big at the top of the key and he just gets his hand right on it turns it around for a a dunk the other way and i'm just like first off this dude has arms for days and just I mean, his his in and out dribble, crossover, and ability to get into the paint. And granted, it was the Knicks, so let's not go too crazy. <laughs> uh, but it was like I was just watching him just shake dudes, and that was impressive. And then another guy who who impressed me, who 
Dave and I have been pretty high on this team. Orlando, Fultz looked really good for them. I mean, he looked healthy. And I know that they like they love what he's doing on the defensive end, right? Like that's the important part for them, uh, is that he is disruptive on the defensive end. But his shake on offense is actually really good. Like he's got that funky, like herky jerky kind of dribble off the dribble game. And uh, like I compared him to James Harden a little bit in that way because he's big and and can use his body and does some just weird stuff, and it's effective. The jumper's not falling yet, but he's shooting them, and that's half the battle. I still think. Look, I stand by this. I think he's gonna, if he's not starting, he's gonna be the like playing the majority of the minutes for them at the one uh, by the All Star game. I just think he he raises their ceiling quite a bit. Uh, Seth, any, any do they have enough? Do they have enough? Do they have enough shooting with him and Farag? Well, I mean, it's up question. to if Fournier, if Fournier, uh, Vooch, Isaac, and Gordon. But really, out of that group, right? Isaac and Gordon are going to have to shoot. I mean, Isaac. One of the one of the stats that I posted this morning that that stood out to me. He only took three shots in the game. Uh, I don't like that. I, I, I like. I want to see him. You know, up around eleven to fourteen a game. I think. You know, that's what he needs to grow on that end. Like, we already know he's going to be a good defender, but, like, he's going to have to contribute on the offensive end for them, for, for, for them to reach, you know, the, the area that Mo and I have kind of predicted for him. We're talking this into existence, but we need, you yeah. know, probably more offense out of Isaac. Let me ask you this question, Seth. Is there yeah. ever an equation in which, and not like an actual equation, but, like, how much shooting do you need when you have a great defense, like that's, that's really kind of my question. And it's not just Orlando. I mean, Philly's going to have that issue. I mean, there's going to yeah. be teams where we're going to look at it going like they don't shoot the ball well, but shit, it's damn near impossible to score against them. Like what's the, is, 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 is it kind of like a, a scale and vice versa? Like, damn, they don't defend, but they better hit every shot they take is, I mean, like, is, is there kind of like a, a, a weighted yes. scale to this or, I mean, you can sort of you can look you can look back in history, and I think I did a little of this for the excuse me a little preview I did for the Raptors this season. And like, if you have a top five defense, you need to be about uh, you know to to be you say you're going to be a contender. That means you're a top five or six team in in net rating, right? So if you have a top five defense, that need, means you need to have about like the worst offense you can have, and still historically be in that kind of range is about a top. It's about like the 10th or 11th best offense. So, you know, however much shooting gets you there is, is kind of, is kind of the answer I'd give. Um, and it's, it, and, and the interesting thing about shooting is, is like, I, I think Dave, you've been talking about this a lot. It's not even, it's not even so much about making them. It's about taking them and having the, the defense respect that you're going to take them. Like yeah. Marcus smart is not a good shooter, but he's he he gives them shooting because other teams guard him because he will shoot. Yeah. And 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 so it almost, you know, it's it's, uh, you know, thinking about uh, uh, guys like um, uh, like Andre Robertson. It almost doesn't matter what percentage he shoots. If he takes them at the rate, he takes them even when he's healthy. Yeah. Um, I thought about this, you know, when um, uh, was it the um, I think uh, when uh, the Clippers had Matt Barnes. Um, he had one year where he shot like 39% from three 
And it didn't totally matter because he wasn't taking any and teams still weren't guarding him. So, yeah, he's giving you a little bit extra by by hitting him at that rate. But the fact that he's not being guarded means there's extra help in the paint that's taking away from your offense on every other possession that he doesn't shoot. So it it, it kind of uh, it, it's it's much more about kind of the to, to use a, you know, a, a, a highfalutin term, the gravity that that players are are projecting. That's right. Uh, yeah. I, I actually mentioned this um during the Pelicans Raptors game, I said that the Pelicans have a lot of shooting, which, you know, I then had to clear up like shooting doesn't mean that they're, you know, Hey, they're going to shoot 40% as a team. That's not what I mean. I mean, that they have guys that are willing shooters, which in 2019, <laughs> the is a very willing it. shooter on, yeah. on oh uh, Tuesday's God. evidence. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> very much so. <laughs> uh, yeah. He's him and Anthony Simons are going to be so much fun to watch because they are coming yeah. in gunning, gunning. Oh man, he took he took. Did he take four seconds from yes. getting into the game for the first time to take a step back? Step three? back. Yeah, yeah, incredible. And is it? And in his mind, that was three seconds too long. Hey, he <laughs> took ten shots in twelve minutes. That's like Get Kobe. It. Get him up, young fella. Get him yeah. up. <laughs> hey, listen, but but you know, Alvin Gentry is not just telling you know like he's not sending a guy in with no instruction, right? I'm sure that this is. This is kind of like the design, right? Go in, get some buckets for us, or at least try. Get the buckets well, the, up. The unit, the unit he was playing with did not have a lot of of creativity on it. Right. So it's kind of like I don't, I don't totally. It didn't. Uh, it was an interesting. Like the, the Pelly's rotation was kind of interesting that game. It's kind of like they he was out there with like Melly, hey. and it was kind of like how is this guy going to get? How is Melly going to get looks when he's out there with like you know <laughs> players I like? But yeah. it's like it's. Nikhil and Kenrich Williams and and Josh Hart and I forget who the who the 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 like the, the last player was yeah but and that's not a lot of no. you know for a guy who's who needs to get set up there's not a lot of setting up going on with that with that with that group yeah uh, Melly playing the small ball five was my favorite thing of that game it was I, I actually he yeah. did a pretty good job when he was guarding Gasol and I don't know how much he, of that he, was he Melly. <laughs> yeah, he made every shot. Uh, I don't know how much of that was Melly and how much was Gasol. Um, uh, if Gasol is as bad as he looked the other night, like for real, yeah. um, then I have to change my opinion on Toronto. I mean, he's because Gasol is also a guy who's like he, you know, he's never been, you know, fluid. So right. it's it's kind of hard to it's a little bit hard to eye test how how he's playing just because he's his game is much more about being in the right spot rather than moving to the right spot. Yeah. Uh, the which, other thing I think go with Gasol is he's had a long summer. <laughs> played yeah. a lot of basketball, drank a lot I'm of wine, curious, you know, and, and and partied rightfully so both times. You know, he he's had basketball parties, basketball parties, uh, you know, win a few championships and world championships along the way. So I'm curious to see kind of the effect that will have on him. And if he kind of just starts slow out of the gate and if they kind of rest him, but the other thing too, Toronto's pretty thin. Like this was last year. They were pretty deep, obviously with Danny and Kawhi and bringing it, being able to bring these other guys off the bench. But now you look at it and it's like, man, they, they better find a way to get stuff out of like guys like Stanley Johnson, uh, Rondé Hollis Jefferson and things like that. Yeah. Cause otherwise it's like, this is a pretty thin team. Yeah. They could really use Matt Thomas, like to, to be able to get like 10 to 12 minutes a night. They could use that shooting off the bench for sure. I think, I, I don't know if it's the shooting they did. I think they need, they need more like, like 
they need a little more dynamism with the ball. Um, I'm not, you know, Siakam had a, had a good kind of top line stat line, but I'm not still not totally convinced by him. Like as a primary creator from the top of the floor, I think he does, he did. No, I think he did. He does great in like advantage situations, whether that's, that's, you know, attacking a closeout or on on a mismatch and on the break or, or stuff like that. I don't like in a, in a, set situation like i'm not saying he can't do it i'm just sure. saying that was i i didn't think he uh i thought he 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 struggled with that a little bit on i thought you know like lonzo squared him up a couple times yeah you know that's that's you know that that and lonzo's a good defender yeah. but he's also you know you gotta you've got a you know five inch and who knows how much weight advantage there you kind of hope to to get a little more from that he can looked I, like can he I, ran out of gas a little bit to me yeah 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 go ahead seth can I? Uh, no, I, I just wanted to to the, you asked about things that seen from the yeah. first couple of days. Um, uh, I thought that uh, some couple of young guys who who certainly uh, were intriguing in that that Boston Philly game last night were. I thought Robert Williams gave the Celtics some good stuff. I think he like for them to be pretty good. I think they're going to need him to to be a you know I. You know, I think this has kind of been floating around, but if he, if they're going to be really good, he probably has to end this year as their starting center for sure. And, I, and that they means need he, that. That means, that means he'll have to have played well enough to justify that, right? Um, and also, I thought, I thought, you know, Thibault looks like a player for uh, for Philly. Ben Taylor and I talked about this the other day on his show. Um, that He's guy, up to stuff. He's just yeah, up to stuff. Yeah, I mean, he immediately just makes an impact like in the league, like you can see exactly what his role can be for a team. And I mean, just based on his defense, right? Like offense. It, I mean, yeah, it'd be great if he could hit threes and, and cut and space or whatever, but the guy has like, he's a rotation player day one because like, he's just a, I don't know, man, he's a savant defensively. I, and we throw that word around a lot. I think um, this is actually like a real, thing with this guy he can do anything you want defensively on a basketball court the one thing i've heard that i really like so far though is i heard that you know most coaches hate players gambling for steals and things like that because it gets you out of position i've heard that brett brown has already given him the green light because he trusts him to if he gambles he's going to recover and fix the situation right away and that's it i'm not equating them as players but that is very Manu-like in the sense of the Spurs would always live with Manu making these wild gambles because, sure, enough, more often than not, he he, he he won. He won those gambles, and, and it paid off. So uh, it's interesting to watch that stuff because there were definitely times last night where he would gamble for a steal, not get it, and then find a way to recover. And I was just like, well, this is exactly what Brett's talking about. Yeah, I th- and I think that he, like, that's there's a reason that like steal rate is kind of one of those big college stats that 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 uh, that that people from 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 my side of the house like to look at. And it doesn't, you're not always sure what it means, but it's kind of he's sort of the epitome of kind of the sort of the nose for the ball that right. just shows that he's got whether it's whether it's his quick twitch or or his anticipation ability to read the game whatever mm-hmm. uh, or just having good hands like those like those are all things that that kind of translate to being good at basketball as the level of basketball improves and yeah. he's kind of you know it's yeah one game what you know it's well, not but too he's crazy a, but, i mean he's clearly but, a defensive playmaker though right like yeah. I, um yeah. and it's amazing philly i mean josh richardson i call him a defensive playmaker 
Uh, he went to the free throw line nine times, which was incredible for him. Uh, but I think Ben Simmons, like, they've got these guys that that are great at this like roamer role. That defense is good. I think they have a chance to be a historic defense. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, they, you know, a lot of people have talked about like Embiid as possible defensive player of the year. Horford's great. Yeah. Simmons is massively effective. Like they, like they are, you know, Tobias Harris is not a great defender, but if he's your fifth worst right. defender, it's pretty good defense. <laughs> and then if you really want to, like, then, and then, like you say, you go, like, you bring Seibel in and then, like, all right, have fun. Like, you know, the, <laughs> yeah. their offense, their offense isn't always going to look great. No. Although I thought there were, it's kind of mid second quarter of that game. They kind of, you know, okay, here you go, Ben, and kind of got out of the way. And then from there, they started getting some much better stuff because mm-hmm. he kind of uh, used his kind of versatility to to, to get into spots uh, and 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 create you know hard defensive situations for the Celtics. And then from there, they kind of they kind of got a lot of what they wanted for the rest of the game. I thought. Yeah, I saw a lot of people complaining about Brett Brown's offense, and you know. A lot of new pieces, man. Like, you gotta let it shake out a little bit. It's also a clunky fit. It is. Like, it's, Absolutely. It's never. I, I actually don't think the offense will ever look that will no. look smooth because it's just not traditional. And he, and it hasn't been for the past couple of years. I mean, you have just between Simmons and Bead and, and Horford on the floor. It's all you're like. Okay, there's a lot of clunkiness right there. Uh, Tobias Harris kind of tends to drift in and out. Uh, Josh Richardson seems to be pretty aggressive yesterday. Uh, and I think it's just one of those things. It's, it's going to take a while to figure out offensively. Mm-hmm. I think their defense is going to w- be what wins them games. And I think ultimately it's their defense is going to, they're going to hang their hat on more than anything else. And then just figure out what they can offensively. But, you know, for the Sixers fans who, who are already going to complain about their offense, it ain't, I don't think it's going to look really good all year, to be honest. I yeah. don't think it's just the way it's it constructed. It just needs to be passable. They just got to be able to get the looks they want to get. Right. And, you know, and like we talked about, and they got to be able to defend at such a high, and they'll have to defend at such a high level to counteract the fact that they're probably not going to shoot the ball that well. You know, they're not going to be a deep three point shooting team. It's, it's one of those things where they're going to have to make sure they can get consecutive stops over and over again for segments of the game. Like they're going to have to be able to hold teams from scoring for like five minutes at a time, you know, with the lack of and shooting that's especially- that they have. Yeah, that's going to be especially important for them because then they can, you know, they've got guys who can who can play in transition. I mean, obviously, like, uh, you know, there there can't be five better guys in the league at getting the ball off the board and going than Simmons. Right. So that's so that's like, yeah, again, you you play that you get that good defense and then you play fewer of those half court offensive possessions and more kind of advantage possessions. And then then it it ends up, you know, you're right. It doesn't over the course of the game. It it might look clunky, but then you look up and they've, you know, they've scored, you know, one point one points per possession. Right. That's fine. Um, It's good. It's certainly good enough with the defense we're playing. So and so, you know, I think that's. That's it, it. The the outcome is probably going to be better than the aesthetics for, it, for their offense in many games. And Al Horford hit his magic number, my magic number, uh, six three point attempts. I think that's where he's got to he's got to be much closer to Brooke Lopez and less like Al Horford in Boston uh, for this fit, this funky fit to work a little better. Like, I, and I'd rather have Horford spacing the floor, <laughs> you know, than than Embiid any day. Yeah, no arguments there. I, I I just think it's it's 
going to be that way all year. And it's going to look better when there's one guy on the bench, you know, in, in mm-hmm. those moments and you might be able to have a little bit more of a regular sort of rotation and things, but even Thibel, Thibel's not a guy you're going to have shooting a lot. Like it's not like they have a ton of shooting. So I think uh Sixers fans just enjoy the fact that it's, it's going to look ugly on offense, but you're going to win a shit ton. And, you know, as uh, they Embrace say, it. white man can't jump, you know, you know, sometimes, dude, it, I, I'd rather look bad and win than look good and lose. Yeah. And, you know, you guys, let, let's leave it to Sixers fans. Y'all decide what you want. I would just, I mean, I think they should embrace it, man. Billy like, Ho. <laughs> but it's one, of, one of the best, best movies I've ever seen. And, and, and I will be pissed off if they remake it. I think I heard oh. somewhere. Yeah, they're going to remake uh, it with Alex Caruso. Oh, um, <laughs> so uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander versus Donovan Mitchell was a lot of fun. Nobody. I didn't get to. I didn't get oh. to. I didn't get to watch that game. That's the game I'm gonna watch today. Yeah. Uh, you you gotta, know, that's that's do a thread on it. Things. <laughs> do a thread. You know? uh, Donovan I, Mitchell. I got, Donovan <laughs> Mitchell was fantastic. His decision making was good. I mean, he was. I mean, he had 12 rebounds in this game. Like he was all over the place. Uh, five offensive rebounds, which you know, if your if your guards can do that, that's incredible. Uh, but I thought I thought Donovan was really good. Seth, any, anybody else stand out to you? I think those those were those were the big ones for me. Um, uh, yeah, I think I, I think again w- Williams and Thibel in that game, um, uh, and and it, it, you know the the Clippers look just just like considering they were playing without Paul George. Uh, yeah, Her- uh, 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 Montrezl Harrell looked looked really good in that game. I thought mm-hmm. um, that was like you know we. He guarded Davis well at that time, so there they that was a you know one game, but that was kind yeah. of a a yeah no this team's going to be really good yeah kind of performance. Um, one, and, and other, I'm sorry, one question for you, Dave. Uh, but Seth, finish your thought, and then I'll, I'll ask Dave the question. No, that's I think you know trying to you know ev- everyone's so excited about the season starting. You know, you want we want to come to all these conclusions now. Oh and, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Just kind of pulling myself back a little bit. Well, this guy's great, and he's like eh, right. You know. For Come me, down. it was just like I just thought, man, that matchup with with Shea Gilgis Alexander and Donovan Mitchell was just fun, and like they actually, you could even see like they were in the midst of it, and you could see they were, they realized, oh, this is fun. They were just going back and forth. It, it was a it was a, it was a really nice opening night of the season. Um, there's a lot of really good teams in the league. I mean, we haven't even talked about Phoenix, who. You know, blew the doors off the Kings last night, and, and Devin okay, Booker had you, ten assists. Before, and, before you, know, you go there, before you yeah. go there, let me ask you this question about the Utah Oklahoma City game. Uh huh. The big concern when the Clippers traded for Chris Paul was this is going to stunt SGA's growth. Yeah, growth. What did you see in that? Like, did you feel like because like just looking at the box score, it really looked like Chris kind of just sort of didn't wasn't fully on top of everything. I, again, I haven't seen the game yeah. yet. So you tell me what you think. I I thought it was good. I, I thought it, he deferred a lot. You know, I listen, I, I think Chris Paul sometimes gets a bad rap. I mean, I'm, I'm a big believer yeah. in that, but I just, but, but I remember that being a concern from everybody. So like, man, now it's going to stunt SGA. This is like, this is something we heard all. They're playing together. And, and honestly, like Chris Paul, we saw Chris Paul can play with James Harden. I think he can play with Shea Gilgis Alexander. And, you know, as evidenced by last night, Shea Gilgis Alexander took 23 shots last night. 
Yeah, he took it. He was he was from what yeah. I've seen on the stat line. I'm not worried about the, his growth being stunted. If anything, like this is a great opportunity for him to learn from a guy who's one of the smartest players to ever play. Chris Paul last night had one of the most heady plays I've ever seen. Now, I hate fouling on the break, but he was on the ground and there was going to be a five on four break. And he just took the foul laying on the ground. It was awesome. He's yelling at the ref and t- takes the foul to be able to do that in the moment. Like just it's so much basketball intelligence there, like just aware of the moment, which is everything you know about Chris Paul, but you forget that stuff. And also nobody snakes a pick and roll as well as Chris Paul does. I, I-, I can watch that all day. That's that's I mean, that's what he does. But go to the uh, the Sacramento Kings uh, getting there. Oh, no, uh, that was it. That, my only thing was we didn't even touch on it. I mean, we're, we're basically out of time, but we didn't even touch on that. And the Suns looked better. Now, of course, you know, it's the Kings and they're going to be up and down, I think, this year. And, uh, you know, we need to see and more then, out of the Suns. But I'm just pumped about basketball right now. It's, it's, it's really, been, really it's been exciting. Fun. Yeah, we have a great I mean, just look everybody's at trying to win. We haven't even had the Houston and Milwaukee game yet. That's tonight. Like we, I mean, like we're having, it's, we're back to basketball now. Like this is the thing. And this is obviously something I love. We're, we're really going to have a year. I think honestly, where we're going to be able to focus more on the game on the court than the stuff on the, the off the court stuff. Now, granted, a lot of stuff's going to happen, but we're not looking to 2020 to see what's going to happen. And all those things like, this is what I've been dying for. We got basketball and we have, great games every night. Like basically I'm, uh, you remember I, I joked earlier of like, you know, I'm single. I ain't finding anybody this, uh, this season. Cause there's just going to be too many games. Like there's no <laughs> basketball way is out. too good for Mo to have any dates. Is what you're pretty saying. Pretty much, pretty much. <laughs> all right. Well, all right. That's it for this week's show. We're going to be back next week. Uh, everybody enjoy basketball this weekend. Uh, I think this is going to be a really fun season. If the first couple days are any indication. Uh, For Seth Partnow, for Mo Dakil, I'm Dave DeFore. Talk to you soon.